seated, I would like to um, just draw your attention to chapter 3, which verse 1, I think we looked at this a few weeks ago. We read these words, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And the author is telling us to think about Jesus, to seep in who he is and what he's done, to think about him, consider him. But then he goes on, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, our author just simply leaves it there. He doesn't unpack high priest at this point. He actually mentions that Christ is a high priest just a few verses earlier in chapter 2, verse 17. calls him a faithful high priest in the service of God, but doesn't do anything with it until now. So we get to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And really, the meat, the heart of the book of Hebrews will be in large part about this Jesus who's high priest. Okay? And so he touched upon it. Now he's going to begin to unpack it. What does he mean by high priest? And that's what we want to do this morning is we want to consider Jesus as our high priest and think upon him, keep, keep, consider him, think upon him, remain in him, persevere in him. So with that in in the back of our heads, let's start by reading chapter 4, verse 14 and beyond. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Father, we pray that these words that we just read would soak over us, that we would be steeped in them, that, Father, that not only today but through the days to come, uh, they would be life-changing, life-transforming. 
as we consider Jesus, our high priest. In your name we pray. This morning, what I'd like us to do is is divide this text into three sections. The first section is those first three verses I read, the end of chapter 4. And what I'd like us to notice there is the nature of our high priest, okay? And then in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5, I'd like you to take a look at what are the qualifications of a high priest. And then finally... In verses 5 through 10, notice that what are, what are the qualifications of our high priest? Okay? So let's begin with verses 14 through 16 and notice the nature of our high priest. Since then, we have a great high priest. Let me just flat out, what I see here is we have in, in this, these three verses, we have a great high priest and we have a priest that gets us. Okay? gets us. It's probably not the best way to put it, but it's the way I remember it. But in what way is he great? Now that's a pretty generic statement. And so we need to look at the context around that word to understand what does the author mean when he says he's a great high priest. And even in, in the beginning, he says since then, so he's alluding to what just Proceeded, And what did he say in verse 13? And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, you might remember last week, you may not, but last week I ended and I, and I took a look at those last few verses and I, we probably could have spent weeks on those few verses. Those verses are... For the, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But if you read verse 13 in that context, it seems to me that he's talking about a person and not a book. It's, it's almost as if, and one of my friends says, did you, did you understand that the word of God in this context is he's talking about Jesus? But you might remember that I spoke of that phrase as the written word. So who's right? My answer is yes. I do think in verses 12, 13, when he says, for the word of God is living and active, he's talking about none other than Jesus Christ. Throughout this text that we've been looking at, he keeps saying, today if you hear his voice. Today if you hear his voice. And so he's talking about the promise of Christ. And he's talking about what Christ offers because of who he is and what he did. And he's talking about the gospel. And he's talking about the message that Jesus declared, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, where he says the message that Jesus declared to those who were with them, his apostles, and then they passed it on to the author of Hebrews and the hearers of Hebrews and then to us. And so when we read the New Testament, we are reading about this Jesus. We're reading about what he said. And, and his word, the Holy Spirit says, present tense, is still active and alive and is still doing his work. 
Now I say all that because in verse 13, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. I'm sorry, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight. As I read that, I think of the passage I read to start the service. Psalm 139, where God himself knows our thoughts, knows what's on our lips before we even say them. We can't run from his presence. And the idea is, when we hear this word and when Jesus speaks and and who Jesus is, this great high priest is none other than God himself. Now, in verse 14, we read, who has passed through the heavens. He doesn't explain that. He will eventually. But he kind of says something in chapter 1. Remember when God spoke to our fathers, the prophets, verse 1? Then we go down to verse 3. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This great high priest is literally in the heavens he passed through the heavens he's in heaven he's sitting with god the father and then he mentions that this jesus is the son of god and he touched on that again back in chapter one several times he quotes from psalm chapter two you are my son today i have begotten you in in verse in chapter one He then goes on, he says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And he talks about the Son being God. And then in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And so, in verse 14, when he says, since then we have a great high priest, when he's talking about his greatness, he's talking about the fact that he is God. And he's talking about the idea that he is king. Because he sits upon a throne. He's he's speaking of a language and he's he's speaking of this high priest as other than us. Different, distinct. That's really important. Because of that, let us hold fast our confession. What we have verbally said we believe about him let us hold fast together cling to persevere in this confession now why is that a big deal because if 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 jesus is the great high priest who is god who is other who is king then then when he says This is what I promise. I promise you a rest, a Sabbath rest that's future. He has the ability to keep his promise. He's a great high priest. But then in verse 15, he's also a high priest that gets us. Look at what we read. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I have a nephew that did two tours with the U.S. Army in Afghanistan. His first tour was as a private. His second tour was as a sergeant. He's now living a civilian life in 
in Montana. Um, but what's striking is some of the things he has said to me. His, the guys that he served with, literally across the U.S., when he has prob when they have problems with post-traumatic stress and when they have issues with their family and and when they have they when they're thinking of suicide and when they're when they're wrestling with divorce, they don't call the chaplain. They call my nephew. And the reason is because my nephew walked with them. My nephew understands what they saw. And, and they trust him. He can sympathize with them. I, I think of Lynn often. We, we, we go to that uh, cancer, um, uh, the Tom Baker not as much anymore, but we go there probably once a month now, maybe, something like that. And, and, and I'll watch Lynn. She'll, she'll be sitting there, and she'll look at somebody, and she'll go, not only in the Tom Baker, but somewhere else in the hospital, and she just, she just intuitively knows it's her first time in that, in that room, or, it's, or, or they have cancer, and she'll stop and have conversations with people. And she has, she has texting friends that are not here in the city, but who who've walked the road together with her because she can sympathize with them. And so we have a great high priest. He's other, but we have a great high priest who is us, one of us. He's, he's not only a king, he's a priest. He's not only God, he's human. He's not just other, he's one of us. And our author is going to unpack that for us. But in light of that, he says in verse 16, let us, here's that uh, salad uh, verse again, let us, sorry, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Not only is he able to do what he said, But he understands us. He gets us. Now those two thoughts are really important as we carry on through this passage. Look at, let's now move to chapter 5. And what I'd like us to notice there is the qualifications of a high priest. And the, the three of them are, I think, found in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of man in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so if you were part of the uh, Levitical priesthood and if you were uh, part of Aaron's family and you were the, the high priest that came from Aaron's family, these are your qualifications. You had to be chosen from, um, chosen from among men. Okay? It's very important. A little Jewish boy growing up wouldn't say, Daddy, Daddy, this is what I want to be. I want to be, be a high priest when I grow up, or I want to be a king when I grow up. You just, you just couldn't choose to do that. God chose you for that job. Either a king or a high priest. You were appointed, you were chosen by God, from humanity. 
Notice the second phrase in verse 1. Not only were you chosen from among man, but you were appointed to act on behalf of man in relation to God. So you, you were there and you were acting on behalf of these men in context with God. You were acting as a mediator. That was what the job of the high priest was. And they were appointed again. He stresses that, appointed by God to do that. And then finally, in verse 1, he says, this is what they did, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so we touched on this last week, Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, one day a year, the, the, um, the high priest would come, come in, he would offer a bull for his own sins. And then he would sacrifice a goat, and another goat he would lay his hands upon and, and send that out into the wilderness, but that, the blood of that goat and the blood of the bull would be splattered upon the altar in the Holy of Holies as he went in. First he would take care of his own sins, and then he would take care of the sins of the people. But he acted on behalf of the people of Israel so that they could walk into the very presence of God. We need a mediator. We can't go before God. We can't, we can't wander up to the bar and say, I'd like to talk to God. We need a mediator because of who we are. Now listen to this, what he says about the high priest, the high priest, the, the Jewish people. Verse 2, he, this human high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Ignorant, meaning they've forgotten God or they had a lack of knowledge of what God demanded. Wayward, they knew what God wanted, but they didn't do it. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because he himself was a sinner and he himself understood that he needed to be forgiven. And so a bull had to be killed and slaughtered so that he could go into the presence of God. Maybe the best way for me to understand this is the way I think as I've gotten older, maybe my kids will beg to differ. But actually I think the older ones would understand it and agree. I've gotten gentler as I've gotten older. And I think the reason why I've gotten gentler as I've gotten older is because I have come to grips with the fact that I am, I myself am weak and broken. And I think that's what the author here is saying, that the, the priests in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, at least if they understood their weakness and their sinfulness, they could have represented the people that they... They, that he went into the, the Holy of Holies on behalf of, he would deal with them in a gentle way because he himself understood that he too was a sinner. The text continues, verse 3, because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he did for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So you see what's going on? He first starts off with our high priest, Jesus. And he says he's a priest that gets us. He's king. I mean, sorry, he's human. He's a priest. He's one of us. But he's also great. So he's king, and he's God, and he's other than us. And then he moves into the second section, and he describes to us what a human priest what were the qualifications first? They were chosen from among men. 
They were appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God, and then they were to offer gifts and sacrifices. And because they were weak, they dealt gently with the people. And then in verse 5 to the end, he zooms back in to look at Jesus. Because remember, that's who we want to consider today. We want to consider Jesus. In verse 5, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him. Jesus didn't just want to, it was God the Father who appointed Jesus to be the high priest. That's what the text is saying. Then he quotes from two passages in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He's already quoted that particular psalm back in chapter 1. It's a psalm where, he's, where God the Father is, is speaking to his anointed one, to his king. And he calls him his son. And today I have begotten you, today I have appointed you. And then he goes and he quotes in verse 6, he quotes from Psalm 110. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And in that psalm, he starts out with this, this being being a king, has a scepter, he rules, and yet he also calls him a priest. Now this is interesting because in the Jewish system, you would not be king and priest at the same time. Those were two separate roles. David was a king, but there was another who was the priest. But there is this guy named Melchizedek. We don't know a lot about him. He shows up in Genesis chapter 14. You might remember Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. He's the one that God promised that through him all the nations would be blessed. His nephew gets in trouble. So he goes with his band and, and his, his household, and he goes and rescues his, his, his nephew. Comes back with a bunch of loot. Meets this king of Salem named Melchizedek, who's also a priest of the Most High God. That's all we know about him, other than Abram offers him 10% of the loot. this priest, this Melchizedek priest, shows up again in Psalm 110, which the early church saw as none other than a prophecy of Jesus. Jesus is king and priest. And he will unpack this again in chapter 7. And so we won't dig into much of that, but the idea is God appointed his son to be priest. This is important. Because his son is both king and human. He's great and he gets us. Just in case we missed it, in verse 7, he carries on. In the days of his flesh, in the days as a human, 
as he walked on this earth, as he was born as a babe in a manger, as he grew up to the point where he suffered upon the cross, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about John chapter 11. I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture in trying to understand who this Jesus is. Jesus hears that his good friend Lazarus is dying. So he delays himself. We're told he literally purposefully says, okay, I'll go, I'll go in a couple days. His disciples are wondering what's going on and, and, and finally says, you know what, I'm, we're doing this for your sake for, so that you would see God's glory. He goes to Lazarus, knowing Lazarus has died, but knowing he's going to raise him from the dead. But it's when he arrives and he sees the people, we are told he was deeply moved in his spirit. He was greatly troubled. We're told Jesus wept. And even just before he says, take away the stone, we're told, again, Jesus was deeply moved. As a human, he understood the weakness of humanity. He understood the pain. He understood our suffering. He understood what his sisters were going through. As they, as they noticed that the, as, as their brother was dead, he understood the grieving, the mourning. He understood what, what sickness and being tired and being weak. He understood. He got us. Even though that 20 seconds later, Lazarus was going to be walking out of that tomb. And he knew that too. It's great, and he gets us. We're told in the other Gospels where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he knew what was laying ahead of him. He knew he would have to go to the cross. He knew that they would pluck out his beard. He, he knew that the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulder. He knew that he would be mocked and beaten. He knew the pain and he knew the, the internal agony. And he also knew that he would be raised three days later because he said he would. And yet, before he goes to the cross, with great tears, deeply moved blood flowing down his sweating from his face he gets us he gets us he understands we're told he says he he too was weak but without sin So when he was tired, he didn't take it out on the disciples. When temptation came his way, he never crossed that line. But he understands. He gets it. That's what the text is trying to tell us. Chapter 5, he goes on. 
although he was a son, although he was God himself, although he, he sits upon the throne, although he's the one who spoke and the worlds were created. That's what we learned in chapter 1. He's a son. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Not that there was a time when he was disobedient and he became obedient. He was always obedient, but there's something about you need the circumstances of life to show that you are obedient. That's what he did. He was a son, and he learned obedience through what he suffered. What did he suffer? His whole life, but at the end, it was a cross. He became, and he made, was made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation. It's through that suffering, through that pain, that he became the very thing that would save us. Remember the high priest? He had to be chosen, appointed by God. That was Jesus. Remember, he had to come from man. That was Jesus. Fully human, and yet completely God. I don't understand that. He he needed to be. He needed to to, on behalf of the people. Represent the people in the presence of God. That was Jesus. But he had to come with a, an offering, a gift. And we're going to see, but in, in kind of in a smaller form we see, that he did that through his suffering. He's, that his suffering was the source of our eternal salvation. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. To all who will submit to him. To all who will follow him. Part of that following and submitting is recognizing that we are sinners and we need a savior. And so we we turn to him as our high priest. And say, your work on the cross was enough. After all, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That whole idea of Melchizedek, we're going we're gonna to spend some time in chapter 7 on him. So I'm going to just leave it simply there, but our author wants us to consider Jesus. He wants us to think about him. And, and maybe there's something on your plate that is like overwhelming, I don't know. What we're called to do is consider who Jesus is and trust him rather than grumbling or complaining. We're to think about this Jesus, whether whatever sits at our feet. Consider Jesus. And in light of that, Hold fast to our confession and draw near to him. And it's not you as an individual he's calling you to do that. He's calling us to do that. Tuesday night, our small group got together 
digging in James chapter 1, 1 through 8. As we just worked through that text, so we were sharing insights and asking questions together, but it was challenging because I needed to hear from you and you needed to hear from me and vice versa so that we would hold fast to our confession. I know some of you men got together on Monday night, some on Monday morning. Same idea. It's good to get together and play, but it's also good that we get this together and we just look at the book and we challenge each other. We pray for each other. Remind each other of who just Jesus is. We, can't, we, we, we don't do this in, the, in a closet. We don't do this on our own. We do this together. And we understand that when the, somebody has a baby, we, we, we get meals together for them. We know they need that encouragement, but we need that encouragement every day of the week. We need that encouragement. And so intentionally, how are you drawing near to Christ with your brothers and sisters? How are you holding fast to the confession that you've said you believe in with your brothers and sisters? How are you doing that? How do you consider Jesus? Because literally, this is, this is me. I'm too independent. and I'm, I grew up in southern Alberta. I could live life on my own in a lot of ways. I like to drive down the road with sports radio on. The sports radio is bombarding their gospel at me. This is what will make you happy. This is what you will enjoy. This is what's important. And then if it's Monday night or if it's Thursday night, I try to catch some of the football game. And they're bombarding their gospel at me. And some of you go to work, and, and all around at work, they're bombarding the gospel at you. And there's music in the background, and it's telling you what you should love and what you shouldn't. And you, you go to the checkout stand, and it's telling you what you should eat and what you shouldn't. And, and there's mixed messages, if you ever notice that. They've got chocolate bars, and they've got diet magazines there. But how are we holding fast? Let us hold fast. How are we together considering who this Jesus is and reminding each other of this gospel? How are we doing? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God that is so great and so other that you created the world spoke it from and, and, and it came into being you are the son of God you are the king who sits upon the throne and at the same time father we're told of your son that he is one of us he 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 understands our weakness he he can sympathize with our weakness thank you he paid the price. He, as a human, he paid the penalty. And as a human, he represented us before you. And, and he was appointed by you because no one else could do that job. Thank you. 
But Lord, in light of that, Lord, I pray that we would draw near to your throne in confidence. But we, would we, Lord, would you help us to do that together? But Father, in light of that, would you, would you help us to hold fast to the confession the days that I'm down or the days that I'm discouraged, may somebody whisper in my ear and remind me of who you are or what you've done. And that my only hope and my only salvation is found in you. And Father, I pray that I would do the same for others. Lord, thank you for Jesus. In your precious name we pray.